Uh, I love that we're in a, a preaching series about hearing God. Uh, what do we want to do in the new year? How do we want to reorient ourselves? How do we want to sort of reset for 2020? Uh, we need to hear from God. And uh, we actually believe that through God's words, we can right now listen and hear the living God as he speaks to us right now, this morning. Do you believe that? Um, so how should, we, how should we feel about that? Um, maybe we should feel quieted in our soul. Maybe we should ask God for help. Maybe we should ask God to clear away the distractions. Do you have a cluttered heart? I often have a very cluttered heart. Um, should we ask God right now to, to clear away the clutter so that we can actually hear from the living God? Should we do that now? Let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll hear from the living God. Let's do that. Our dear Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have a word. You have always had a word. You are always the speaking God. And you want to speak to each of us this morning. And I pray that you would do that with living power. Father, talk to us. Speak to us in the core of our being. Father, I, I cry to you that we would not just meditate on some biblical truths right now, but that you would speak to our souls in a way that is unmistakable, so that we would hunger for more and thirst for more, and that 2020 would be a year where we quiet ourselves, where we determine to listen to you, our Father. So speak now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if we haven't met before, I am Glenn Scrivener, and I'm married to Emma. Perhaps some of you know Emma. She's spoken here uh, a little bit too, and uh, we live in Eastbourne, and we've got Emma, uh, we've got uh, Ruby and JJ are our two children, and uh, I work for uh, a charity called Speak Life, um, because we believe that God speaks life to us, and we want to speak life to others, and we'll be thinking about that very topic uh, this morning. I was uh, on a bus in London a few years ago, and uh, in front of me there was uh, a woman about 19, 20 years old, and she was reading a letter. And she didn't get very far in her letter before she would do a little sigh. Ha! Huh. And then she would go back to her letter and read a little bit more, and then she would do a little coo noise. Woo! <laughs> and then she would read a little bit more, and then she would giggle. And then she would actually clutch the letter to her chest and do a really big sigh. Oh. And then she would go back to the letter and she'd read a little bit more. And it would go on like this for like the next 10 minutes. She would read and coo and sigh and giggle and hug and read and sigh and giggle and hug and read and sigh and giggle and hug. Now, what do you think she was reading? Um, it doesn't take a genius to figure it out, does it? I mean, hopefully you are emotionally intelligent enough. <laughs> you, you don't think that she was in love with stationery, do you? <laughs> you don't think she, she loved the calligraphy, right? You, you, you know that it wasn't a scented letter, and she just loved the aroma of it. And you're pretty certain it wasn't because the words were so finely crafted, right? You, you know why she clutched that letter to her heart, don't you? You, you, you know why she did it, right? because it communicated to her the love of somebody else. And she loved the letter because she loved him, 
right? He was communicating to her his love, and and that's why she loved the letter. Not because it was so well written. Who knows how well written it was? Not because she loved the shape of the words, but because it was a love letter to her, and it communicated that love to her. Now, Christians, we, we love the Bible, don't we? We absolutely love the Bible. And maybe if you're not used to Christian things, you look at Christians a little bit like the way I looked at that girl on the bus, and you think, gosh, they, they, they really like that book, don't they? Is it because it's such great literature? Well, there are soaring literary moments in the Bible, but that's not primarily why we love the book. Why do we love the book? Because it is actually 66 love letters bound together in one volume, communicating to us the love of somebody who adores us and who we adore. That that is what the Bible is to Christians. We don't love it because we love literature. We don't love it because we happen to, to love the idea of a moral, holy book. We love it because of Jesus And through him, he communicates his love to us. We're going to think uh, this morning about God's word. And as we think about God's word to us, uh, I'm going to illustrate it with uh, the book of Genesis. Because it's a new year, and I've started reading the Bible, again, from the the start. I don't know if you've done the same thing. Uh, There's a Bible reading plan that you can sign up for. Go to weareemmanuel.com slash Bible, and you can, again, start on this reading plan. Read together the Word of God. And I wonder if you do that, you might encounter what I've encountered this week. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Have you got the scene? God in verse 1, the Spirit of God in verse 2, and yet it is formless and dark. Isn't that odd? Isn't that odd? Like, it, should, it should strike you as strange. Second verse of the Bible God created the heavens and the earth. That's a majestic phrase, isn't it? And then the next thing that happens, everything was dark and formless. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And if you look up all those words like darkness and deep, you start to realize there's there's an abyss going on. There's, There's something very dark. There's something very menacing. If you trace those words through the Bible, you get to Jeremiah chapter 4, and you realize that all those words are associated actually with judgment. What a strange thing in the second sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Done deal, you think. Ah, apparently not. Everything is formless and empty, and the Spirit of God is hovering, waiting, waiting for what? Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, you've got God, verse 1, the Spirit of God, verse 2, the Word of God, verse 3. And the Word of God brings light and life to the cosmos. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? How does God create the world? He could have this magic wand and just sort of go zing, right? He, he could just press a button. He could, he could just think the world into existence. He doesn't think the world into existence. Have you thought about that? He speaks the word, the world into existence, which means everything in heaven and on earth lives in correspondence to the word of God. Everything does. Everything is what it is because of the word of God. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? It means, for one thing, 
even if you're not a Christian, you already have a relationship with the Word of God. Just as a creature, you live in correspondence with the speaking God. He has spoken you into existence. And he has spoken the whole world into existence. And and that world, as we'll see, is also speaking to you. You cannot escape the Word of God. It is through the Word of God that God gives life. And here's one implication. If you're not hearing the Word of God... You don't really have life. Okay? If you're not in this relationship with the Word of God, you might be living, you're not really alive. You understand? Your heart might be beating, you might be going through the motions, but you're not really alive. You don't really have life unless you are truly hearing the Word of God. Sounds like a quite offensive thing to say, doesn't it? If you, if you say to somebody, uh, you're living but you're not really alive, you don't truly have life until you come to the Word of God. It, it sounds a bit offensive, but actually, marketers and advertisers, they, they're saying that kind of stuff all the time, aren't they? You know, If you really want to have life, then just buy our product. You think, oh gosh, what's your product? And it's usually like a bottle of water or something. You know? Here is life, real life, because you're not really living until you have this, or until you have this experience, until you declutter your life, or move out to the country, or have a city break, then you'll really live. No, but the Bible's more realistic. The Bible says you can be living, but not really alive. But the thing that will give you true life is to be in a relationship with the Word of God, to truly hear God. Because God has always been speaking. And he brings real life through his word. And then you think, okay, what is his word? What is his word? Because if you just go through the Bible and you look at all the different ways that God speaks about his word, it might confuse you. Sometimes when the Bible speaks about the word of God, it means Jesus, the son of God. Sometimes it means that, right? We've just had Christmas. The great Christmas reading, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, The Word is the Son of God. The Word is Jesus. And that makes sense back in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, there was God, and there was the Spirit of God, and there was the Word of God, the Son, right? Right there from the beginning. That's what John chapter 1 is saying. Even from the very beginning, God's word has always been spoken because God's word is Jesus, the Father's Son. So one way that the Bible speaks about the word of God is to say Jesus is the word of God. And that means this. God has always been a speaking God. He's always been communicative. He's always been expressive because Jesus has always existed as the outgoing communication of God. The Father has always had a word carried on his breath. Did you know that the Spirit and the breath, it's the same word in Hebrew and in Greek? The Father's always been breathing out his word. He's always been communicative. He's always the speaking God. So the, the Bible says, yeah, one way of thinking about the word of God is Jesus. He's the word of God. He's the expression of God. He's everything God wants to say wrapped up in a person. But you read on in the Bible, and another way that the Bible uses the word the Word of God, is 
to refer to the written scriptures, right? The Bible. The Bible is also the word of God. The Bible is also God communicating to us. And then there's a third way of speaking about the word of God in the Bible. And, and people now can hear God's word, God's voice, and not even hear it. They can also speak it to one another in contemporary situations. And you'll think about that in this series of hearing God. There are ways of contemporarily, right? There are ways of right here and right now, hearing from God and speaking to others. And you think, that sounds dangerous. Yeah, it is, right? It is, but you can't tame the word of God. And again and again, the Bible says we actually address one another. We had that verse at the very beginning, Ephesians chapter 4, our life as Christians is not only to hear the word, but also address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are to address one another with the contemporary word of God. And again, you think that sounds really dangerous. What if someone says, thus saith the Lord, and makes a hash of it? Well, actually, if you think about the other two forms of the word of God, you've got some safeties built in, okay? When people speak the word of God to you, it better be biblical and it better point to Jesus, right? But if it is biblical, the second form of the word of God, and if it points to Jesus, the first form of the word of God, then we are to heed it and hear it and listen to God. This is what some theologians like Luther have called the threefold word of God. There is a threefold word of God. Christ, the Bible, and contemporary proclamation. And you've got to get all three going together. But when you do get all three going together, then Jesus confronts us in the Bible. And then, biblically, we go out and speak the words to others. So, if that's true about what the Word of God is like, what does that mean for the Bible? It means that the Bible exists in a flow. A flow from the speaking God. The speaking God reveals Christ to us through the Bible. And we, biblically, speak Christ out to the world and to one another. That's the flow that the Bible exists within. And if that's true about what the Bible is, how will that make me read the Bible in 2020? I'm going to give you three truths and then three applications. Three truths about the Bible and three applications for how we might live this out in 2020. Do you want to hear from God in 2020? Here are three truths about the Bible. And, and truth number one, the Bible is Christ-centered. The Bible is Christ-centered. Perhaps you know in John chapter 5, uh, he is, Jesus is surrounded by a bunch of Bible scholars. People who really knew their Bibles. They didn't just know their Bibles, they had memorized their Bibles. Some of the Pharisees had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Okay, Can you imagine that? Memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorizing this. And Jesus says to them, you've never heard God's voice. Like, what? They're pouring over the word of God written. They're pouring over it. They've memorized the Bible. And Jesus says, no, but you've never heard God's voice. How could that be so? Well, Jesus says, you diligently study the scriptures, thinking that by them you possess eternal life. He says, these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 
the Bible is Christ-centered. The Word of God written is always pointing you to the Word of God eternal. Your Bible study is meant to give you Jesus. And you see, that, that's why we love the Bible. That's why we might sigh and coo and giggle and clutch it to our chest, right? Because it's a communication of the eternal word of God, who is the expression of the Father. It, it is telling us of the lover of our souls. Our Bible reading is meant to always bring us to Jesus. But at that point, you might think, oh, hang on, Glenn. Didn't, didn't you say that you were reading Genesis this week? How does Genesis preach Jesus to you? Is that a problem? Didn't, didn't Jesus show up in the New Testament? Doesn't that mean that the first 39 books of the Bible are Christless? No, not at all. Not at all. And that's why the great Christmas reading of John chapter 1 begins. In the beginning was the Word. John is telling us that right from Genesis chapter 1, Jesus was there. He was the eternal Word of God spoken by the Father, breathed out by the Spirit, bringing light and life to the cosmos. And when you read Genesis as a proclamation of Jesus, things start to fall into place. I spoke more about this in a previous sermon, Christ in All of Scriptures. And if you want to go back into the archives at weareemmanuel.com, you can find a lengthy sermon about how Jesus is proclaimed in Genesis. But, you know, it is interesting. In Genesis chapter 1, the Word of God is proclaimed. And then in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 8, you meet a character who is called like this. Then Adam and his wife heard the voice of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Did you grab that? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. And who is it who's walking with them? The voice of the Lord God is walking in the cool of the day. So what does the word of God look like? What does the voice of God look like? Just a disembodied audio wave? Apparently, he walks. Apparently, he's a divine person who wants to have communion with Adam and Eve. Well, that's interesting. Who is this word of God? You read on to Genesis chapter 15. Here's this really interesting bit. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. That's interesting. The word of the Lord somehow can be seen. The word of the Lord is a person who can be seen somehow, pronounces this promise. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. The word of the Lord pronounces divine promises. Who does he think he is, this word of the Lord? Pronouncing divine promises, saying, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Well, then in verse 4, the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord came to Abram, saying, Eliezer will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh will be your heir, He, the word of the Lord, took Abram outside and said, look up at the stars and count them if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So the word of the Lord is this walking, talking, stargazing, promising, divine person. He is of the Lord and he is the Lord. He pronounces promises, and when Abram trusts this person, the word of the Lord, it's credited to him as righteousness. Suddenly, he's justified. Suddenly, he's saved. Galatians chapter 3 makes much of this passage and says, oh, hooray, this is the gospel. This is, this is Abraham 
trusting the gospel. You think, ah, Genesis preaches Christ. And when you start to see that Genesis preaches Christ, you you start to read all sorts of really interesting things. Like this week, I I was reading uh, the flood narrative. So from Genesis 6 to Genesis chapter 9, you read all about how Noah and the ark sailed through the storms to salvation. And it really, it was really interesting because I read the whole thing from chapter 6 to chapter 9 as a piece. And one phrase kept on coming back. It kept on saying, Noah and all those who were gathered to Noah were saved. It wouldn't say eight individuals got saved. It was always Noah and everyone who was with Noah in the ark was saved. I'll give you just one example. Uh, In uh, Genesis chapter, uh, where are we? Let me find it. In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 38, it says, Noah and all those who were with him in the ark were saved. Isn't that interesting? Noah and all those who were with him in the ark were saved. And Noah is held up as this righteous one who, through grace, found himself in this relationship with God. But to be in relationship with the righteous one means coming to the righteous one, sailing through the storms, and ending up in this new creation, washed clean. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? Isn't that very resonant of what the gospel is? What is the gospel? The gospel is gathering together with the righteous one, Jesus, coming together on this ark, right? Imagine how smelly the ark was. Imagine how you'd feel very endangered as the rains came down for 40 days and for 40 nights. And there you are, gathered together, being battered about by this storm and that storm in this smelly ark that we call the church, right? That's where we are. We're in this smelly ark called the church, battered around by this storm and that storm. But we are gathered together in the righteous one, sailing through the storms out to salvation. So, you know, as you read, as you read your Bible, let your Bible take you to Jesus. And as you let it take you to Jesus, you start to understand more about yourself. You start to understand more about the gospel, more about real life. What is real life? Gathering to the righteous one and sailing through the storm to salvation. So truth number one about the Bible is it's Christ-centered. We must always read it as Christ-centered. The second truth about the Bible is the Bible brings us challenge and comfort. Challenge and comfort. And it's usually in that shape, right? So in Genesis chapter 1, we've noticed how in the beginning it was formless and empty and darkness and there was the deep. And then God said, let there be light and there was light. Do you see? There was the formlessness and then the the, the filling. And and that's the pattern throughout Genesis chapter 1. There was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and then there was morning the second day. Or the entirety of Genesis chapter 1. It's all about there's the forming of this world where God makes barriers and parameters and sets things in place. He brings order. He pronounces the way things ought to be. But then he fills it with life. So in days 1 to 3, he forms the world and brings that order. But then in days 4 to 6, he fills that order with life. And throughout the Bible, people have noticed that that is the shape of what the Bible is always doing. The Bible brings the good order of God, and it brings boundaries, it brings parameters, 
It lays down the law, right? But then it brings the gospel. You see, the, the, the law doesn't save you. The, the law can tell you not to transgress this boundary, but it can't give you life. But the Bible is always giving you that, that law, but also that gospel. It's, also, it's, it's always pronouncing a no and then a yes. It's always bringing you down in challenge and then raising you up in comfort. Why would that be? Well, because the second form of the Word of God, the Bible, is just like the first form of the Word of God, Jesus. What is the shape to his life? The shape to his life is down and then up. Taking on the judgment of God at the cross and then being raised up. And the Bible itself will take you on that journey if you let it. As you're reading the Bible this year, you, you know what it will do? It will say no and it will say yes. It will humble you under the mighty hand of God and then it will raise you up. There will be an experience of a cross and a resurrection. There will be challenge and comfort. That's what the Bible is always doing for us. Are you ready for that? Will you pray about that before you dive into the Bible? Lord, challenge me and then comfort me. Pronounce your no to the things in my flesh that are displeasing and then pronounce your yes in Christ that I might be comforted and walk out into the world with hope. I had that experience this week reading through Genesis and I got to the bit in Genesis chapter 11, uh, you know, the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel is such a cautionary tale, isn't it? What do they want to do? They say to one another, come, let us bake bricks together and we will make a, a, a tower with its head in the heavens and we will make a name for ourselves. Then we will no longer be scattered over all the earth. That is what they want to do. They want to make a name for themselves. And it just struck me between the eyes as I was reading Genesis chapter 11. Glenn, are you trying to make a name for yourself? Gosh. Do, do you want to be known among people? Do you want to be raised up because of your human abilities? Are you baking bricks by the power of the flesh to raise yourself up? Is that what you're doing, Glenn? Is that what your heart longs to do? And I have to say, in the flesh, yeah, that's what my heart longs to do in the flesh. To use my human resources and human abilities to raise myself up. Well, the Bible, Bible's got bad news if, if that is how you're going to live your life. Those who are raised up will be brought low. There is great challenge in the Bible for those who want to raise themselves up. But then I kept on reading, <laughs> desperate for some comfort. Lord, you've shown me the cautionary tale. How should I be? How can I be? What is reality in Christ? And then you read to Genesis chapter 12, and it's fantastic. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it's the anti-Babel. Because there, there is Abraham, he's, just, he's plucked out of idolatry, he's just brought into the promised land and God just showers promises on him. There he is in the gutter and God comes down to meet him. And God says, chapter 12 verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make your name great. What? 
And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Ah, here is the way of the Spirit. The way of the flesh is the way of Babel. Lift yourself up. The way of the Spirit is down and in Christ. God gives you a name, though you are in the gutter. Though you have not expended a calorie of effort. Though you are not worthy of any blessing. You are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Stop trying to lift yourself up from the gutter. God meets you in the gutter and gives you a name, the name of the Lord Jesus. Raises you up, sets you on your feet, not so that you can now raise yourself up, but so that now you can go out to the nations and bless them. Isn't that a different way to be? Oh, and isn't it a relief? I can stop baking bricks. I can stop lifting myself up. I can stop trying to make a name for myself. Why would I try to make a name for little old Glenn? When I have the name of the Lord Jesus given to me, the status of the Lord Jesus given to me, the verdict of the Lord Jesus given to me, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus given to me, not that I might raise myself up, but that I might flow on out to the nations. Ah, That's an experience of challenge and comfort. We should always be looking for that in the Bible. Always look for Jesus. Always look for challenge and comfort. And then the, the third thing about the Bible is the, the Bible is to be communicated. Okay? It's not just Christ-centered. It's not just challenge and comfort. It's also to be communicated. And you get that idea in Genesis 12. You know, Abram is given the blessings of the Lord that all nations on earth might be blessed through him. It's, it's meant to be taken out to the nations. It's a beautiful example of it in Mark chapter 4. Do you know Mark chapter 4? Jesus gives this parable all about the the word of God. It's like seed. And the sower sows the seed on different soil types. And some people are very hard to the word of God. And some people are very welcoming of the word of God. And they bear a crop 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. And then this is the next thing that Jesus says. Jesus said, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, Jesus continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Do you get that? In the context of receiving the word of God, you're then to measure it out to others. And as you measure it out to others, you get more of it yourself. As you shine it out to others, it's more illuminated to your own soul. And have you had that experience with the Word of God? Have you had that experience of as you articulate the goodness of Jesus to somebody else, he becomes more precious in your own heart? Have you ever noticed that? Philemon verse 6 says, Be active in sharing your faith, so that you may understand all the good things you have in Christ. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. As you communicate the word of God out, so it settles deeper into your heart. I had an experience of that this week with Genesis 19. I started to understand a verse, and then I spoke it out to Emma, and then she spoke back to me, and We started to make sense of it all the more because we started to communicate it to one another. Uh, The verse was this in in Genesis 19. um, Lot 
is in a city under judgment, and the judgment is falling, and he has to get out of Dodge, right? He has to get out of there, because judgment is falling. But Lot is like you and me, like we are just inert, okay? We are distracted. We don't like change. And chapter 19, verse 16, Lot hesitated. He knows that judgment is coming, but he's like, yeah, but I, I kind of know it. It's kind of comfy, Right? I, I, I don't know what life will be like out there in, I don't know, the, the, in the hills. I do know what life is like here. And there are angels there saying, you've got to get out, you've got to get out, you've got to get out. Lot hesitated. So the angels grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them to safety out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. And that just really hit me between the eyes. By the way, that's something you should be praying for as you come to the Word of God. Just, just pray that God would hit you between the eyes with truth. Because if you're anything like me, you're spiritually thick, okay? And you need God to, Glenn, verse 16, look closer. And I looked closer. The Lord was merciful to them. What does mercy look like? It looks like an intervention. Isn't that interesting? It looks like having your hand grasped and yoiked, and your, your arm almost comes out of your socket because you need to be seized. What you want needs to be overridden by God, right? He needs to grasp you because you're such a spiritual moron, right? You need someone to lay hold of you and say, idiot, and just gr- and, and throw you out of danger's way. That's, that's, get you out of harm's way. And this verse was really... Speaking to me, and it spoke to me on that spiritual level. Oh, you know, Lord, I am so spiritually thick, I need this. And Lord, if there's areas in my life where you just need to grasp me and get me out of harm's way, please do that. But then I thought, you know, I'm in, an, I'm in a position where I need to be merciful to others. For instance, my children, right? <laughs> and this really came home to me because um, we've got Ruby's five and, and JJ is two. He's a toddler. He's a boy toddler. And he's adorable, and he's giggling, but he is the most oblivious suicide machine you've ever met. <laughs> like, he could devise five ways of killing himself before Christmas, before breakfast. You know, he, he, he will just instantly endanger himself. He will, and if there's no way of endangering himself, he will invent a way of endangering himself, right? And of course, if you seize him, if you grasp him in those moments, he doesn't like that, right? He melts down, and, it's, and, and so it's, it's a very difficult, you know, it's, it's him endangering himself and then us seizing him, and him endangering himself and us seizing him. And, but this verse says, the men grasped his hand, for the Lord was merciful to him. And, ah, how do I parent so that full of mercy, I seize? And how can the seizing be an experience of mercy? For him, well, that's tricky, isn't it? It's really tricky. And some people fall off the, the, the horse on one side and, and they're just entirely merciful and they just smile benignly while he electrocutes himself. And, you know, and some people are all into the, the seizing and there's no mercy. 
And I, I got thinking, I was praying over this verse for like 10 minutes, and then I started talking to Emma about it. And she said, that's exactly like I was reading in Hosea chapter 6. And she took me to Hosea chapter 6. And I said, and that's like Hosea chapter 11, isn't it? Yeah, it is like Hosea chapter 11. And we back and forth and back and forth. And with the measure that we used, it was measured to us. Because it had been communicated to us and because we communicated it to others, suddenly we were understanding it more and more richly. And that's something you can pray about as well. Not only, God, will you hit me between the eyes with the truth of this, but will you give me opportunity and will you open my mouth that I might speak it out to others? The Bible is these three things. It is Christ-centered. It is challenge and then comfort. And it is to be communicated to others. And if that's true, then what are the three applications for us in 2020? What are the three applications for us in 2020? Um, just briefly, the word is meant to be heard reverently. The word is meant to be heard reverently. Um, did you know, in Hebrew, the word for hear is also the word for obey. They don't have two separate words. There's no such thing. Like, it wouldn't make sense to a Hebrew speaker to say, yeah, I heard it, but I didn't obey it. It's like, what are you talking about? If you, hear, if you hear, you obey. It's the same word. Which means, how, how do we come to the Scriptures? How do we come to them reverently? In 1 Samuel chapter 3, Eli says to Samuel, when the Word of God comes, here's what you should say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Is that how we come to the Bible? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The creator of heaven and earth wants to connect with you. The speaker of galaxies wants to speak to your soul, right? How should we come to that? By his spirit, he continues to speak the scriptures into our soul that we might understand Christ. How do we respond? We say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Do you, do you try to declutter your heart before you come to the Scriptures? You know, I've, I've got one little technique that I, that I use. I, I often say to myself, Psalm 46, verse 10, over and over again. But you can do it in an, in an interesting way. You can, Psalm 46, verse 10. Um, <laughs> how does that go? <laughs> Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And then you can... Lop off the last word. Be still and know that I am. And then you can lop off the I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Be still. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I am God. You can do that over and over again until your heart it's quieted until you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We're connecting with the God who spoke galaxies into existence and he wants to speak to your soul. Come to the word reverently. That means prayerfully. It means praying it back to him. It means being in a dialogue with God as you come to Genesis 19, verse 16. Oh God, what does this mean for parenting? What does it mean? Be, be in a Prayerfully, reverently. You are hearing God. You are hearing God as you read. So read reverently. Read in full. 
Read in full. By that I mean, don't come to the Bible like it's a fortune cookie or like it's a collection of little fortune cookie sayings. Don't come to the Bible and take a verse from here and a verse from there, a sweetie from here and a sweetie from there. The word is written in full, and it's to be understood in full. You know, I, I, never, I never would have understood about the Noah thing if I hadn't read Genesis 6 to Genesis 9. Because the repetition is important. It kept on saying, Noah and all those gathered to him. Noah and all those gathered to him. Noah and all those gathered to him. I never would have got that idea if I hadn't read in full, if I hadn't read a bigger chunk of the Bible. You know, I mean, the Bible is is full of things like letters. I mean, do do you ever pick up a letter and you think, oh, here's here's a letter from a friend. Let me read two paragraphs. I mean, sometimes you might do that. But it is interesting. <laughs> here are these 66 love letters. And we, we just, we're very selective, just little bits here, little bit there. That's why I, I really recommend going to weareemmanuel.com slash Bible. Read in full. Okay? Read bigger chunks. Because the, the, the scriptures are like a cathedral. And you'll never get the sense of the scriptures as a cathedral if you just sort of hang out in the crypt. Okay? You need to read the, read the scriptures reverently. Read the scriptures in full, and read the scriptures in community. Again, this is brilliant. Uh, you know, you're, doing, you're doing this Bible reading challenge together. I wouldn't have understood Genesis 19 anywhere near as well if I didn't speak it out to Emma and if she didn't speak it back to me. The word of God is written to us that we might understand it in community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his little book, Life Together, he said, the reason why we have community together is so that we can hear the word of God. What does he mean? He's, he says, the Christ of my own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of a brother or sister. The Christ in the word of a brother or sister is strong. The Jesus I tell myself about is weak. The Jesus I simply tell myself about is only as strong as my blood sugar levels. Right? And if it's 5 p.m. and if I haven't remembered to have lunch that day, okay, Oh, I, I can nurse Jesus in my heart and, and, and try to encourage myself. But when you eyeball me and you say, Glenn, Galatians 2, verse 20, Christ loves you and gave himself for you. Oh, okay. That fills me up. The Christ in the word of a brother or sister is stronger than the Christ of my own heart. So let us read the Bible together in community. Understanding how it is Christ-centered. Understanding how it challenges and comforts. Understanding how it is meant to be spoken out to others, let us come to it reverently, prayerfully. Yeah? Let us come to it in all its fullness, and let us come to it in community, speaking the word of Christ to one another, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In a second, we'll have a, an opportunity to do that together. We've got communion together for 2,000 years. Christians have spoken of the bread and wine as like visible words, visible words. Because when I tell you that God loves you, maybe those words sink in, maybe they don't. But when you take bread and wine, it has to go in. (laughs) It's designed to go in. It is proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So together, reverently, 
Let's have God's word spoken to us again in the bread and the wine, and let's understand how Christ-centered all of reality is. Should we pray? Let me pray for us. Our speaking God, our heavenly Father, thank you that you speak and have always spoken, and I pray that you would find in us people who are eager to hear. This year, may each of us be eager to hear from you. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen.